Welcome back to Media Voices, ladies, gentlemen, everybody. This is the sixth episode in our Big Noises subseries, where we talk to some of the most explosive and interesting people in media. I'm Chris Sutcliffe. And I'm Peter Houston. And unfortunately, due to data scraping being ridiculous on this platform, <laughs> we're going to have to limit the rate limit of uh, what you can actually listen to. So you all have 60 seconds before we have to shut this down. <laughs> You have reached the limit of your time with Media Voices. Please come back next week for another 60 seconds of all the news and views from the media world. God, I would make our job so much easier. <laughs> That's a great idea. <laughs> um, I mean, God, if we were doing a, the regular series of Media Voices, the entire episode would have been about Musk's absolute shit show this week. I have to say, these days, it would take me a long time to get anywhere near 600 <laughs> tweets. I won't spend anywhere near the same time on it. No, I'm, I'm spending idea. more time on, I know, total fucking, like, just an idiot as well. And it's the fact that it's either, really, because uh, he couldn't migrate his stuff off Google <laughs> in time and refused to pay Google for an extra month, or because of a bug which is causing DDoS attacks on Twitter itself from Twitter. Regardless, it, <laughs> it just reminds me of that tweet, ironically, that was like, Musk slams his dick in a car door. <laughs> <laughs> Musk fanboys, masterful gambit, sir. <laughs> anyway. Uh, you got to wonder what his new CEO is thinking. She's got oh, to start I know. thinking. Oh, my God. Well, this is... This is it, it just makes no sense. He's limited it to 600 tweets per person, which shoots advertising in the foot so yeah. much. That's ridiculous. I've seen a and lot of people actually saying, this, uh, does adverts count as part of your 600? <laughs> uh, Peter, you spoke to an old friend of the Media Voices podcast this week. Uh, we've been, yeah, we've been chatting with Michelle and DCN for years and years and years. Oh, Michelle Manafi is the editorial director for Digital Content Next. TCN is a trade organization that's really about premium brands. Um, it's trying to figure out what high quality digital content looks like and what the companies that are managing that should be doing. So people like, oh, I don't know, Axel Springer, BBC, Bloomberg, Economist, Hearst, some pure plays like Box. Mm -hmm. So yeah, um, Michelle is really responsible for the content side of things, which I guess means the website, which is the most excellent, um, mm -hmm. but also the, the conferences and the meetings that they have, the, the actual event side of things. But as you said, Michelle was a proper friend of the podcast. She co-hosted once when one of us couldn't be asked. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, she's just brilliant. That was great. I love this season. It's just been so cool. So your your opening question, my opening question is always, so how did you get where you got to? But the next question is always, okay, so what's grinding your gears? And it's just been, it's been brilliant. Michelle's got an interesting path into this, which we can talk about in a bit, but what yeah. is grinding her gears that you kind of want to flag for the episode? Well, the big, the big theme running through all this was the idea that everyone from, well, she used the example of Disney, who's a member of DCN, uh, everyone from Disney to tiny local newspapers, and she's just been involved in the startup of a local newspaper, is to some extent dealing with the same kind of universal problems. 
you know, problems of audience retention, audience acquisition, all the issues that are associated with scale. Uh, she's worked for all sorts of people, Village Boys, some of the alt news weeklies, and then ended up at, at DCM when it was still the Association of Online Publishers. I'm just I so guess. jealous of anybody who got to work on an alt weekly. Yeah, uh, you know, I was re- yeah, reading all about the history of this and kind of their their obviously a smaller equivalent in the uk but just sounds like such a fun environment and a fun time yeah so we talked about dcn we talked about these issues um what these problems were (laughs) and then we set out on this search for a a, a universal theory of everything that would (laughs) spoiler alert we don't find one right we would we would both have been would be worth a lot more money if we ever came up with that (laughs) so if anybody's wondering why this episode is like a hundred hours long it's because yeah that's search for a universal answer yeah we developed a unified theory of media But I mean, the other thing that she talked about, and I won't spoil the episode in the sense of naming names, but she talked about her frustrations at innovation, and I'm doing the bunny ears, um, and, and, and how people talk about innovation when really it's just the same old stuff wrapped up in a different sort of guise. Um, yeah. You know, people talking about these huge innovations that they're making, but they're not really. They're just the same old stuff for the same old people done by the same old people. What Michelle got into is this idea that, okay, some of that, some of those formats might be interesting and different, but then when you look at the people that are doing them mm. and the idea of, you know, if you're talking about diversity and inclusion, <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's layered in that sense. Nice. Well, I think you've teed that up really, really well. Um, I haven't listened to it yet, so I'm going to edit that this evening, and it's going to sound, I'm going to make it sound amazing, even more amazing than it was, but really looking forward to those discussions. But in the meantime, we should take a moment, pay the bills, and say thank you to Glide Publishing Platform for the support, not just for this episode, but for the entire series. So if you don't know them yet, they're a content management system for publishers, which means that you don't have to get involved in all the nitty gritty, really getting under the hood and tearing out wires and getting frustrated, having to spend time and money reinventing your CMS over and over and over again, when new things get added to your tech stack and new platforms and APIs get involved. So Glide can do all that for you, for publishers of all sizes, so you can just get on with actually running the site and doing the editorial. There's no need to get roped into building any of that. You can just use their cloud services and away you go. So if you want to know more, have a look at gpp.io, give them a check, and thank you again to Glide for their support this episode. I wonder if Elmo should be calling the Glide guys. I don't think at this, I mean, at this Would point, he's like, he's got to be like, no, I, at this point, he's got to be like Howard Hughes, right? He's got to be like holed up in his penthouse, just like going absolutely berserk, pissing into blind basin jars and just go losing his mind. Ah, awful. <laughs> well, how did you begin your interview with Michelle? I began my interview the way I always do. I asked Michelle how she got to be doing what she's doing right now. I just wanted to first and foremost, thank you for including me because Media Voices, you guys are always up to great things, doing interesting stuff, and uh, I'm absolutely honored to be a part of it. Uh, So, Michelle, who am I? All right. Uh, I went to university to be a journalist. I 
wanted to be a writer and uh, realized that was absolute madness because how can anyone pay the rent that way? So I said, oh, I'll do the practical thing. I'll study journalism. Um, as it turned out, that uh, that didn't uh, work out quite the way I had planned. Um, the internet came along and uh, proceeded to transform literally everything I had been taught in school. So I just kind of <laughs> I got fully caught in that um, tornado, tsunami. I don't know. Pick your metaphor, Peter. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found that journalists kind of went two ways with it. They either ran for the hills um, mm-hmm. and said, "This is this is not." right this is not journalism this is this is just weird uh i don't know technology and i want nothing to do with it or they said to themselves hey wait a minute this is kind of cool like could we do something new and and interesting here i mean for me peter just the simple ability to be able to fact check something through a database rather than a pile of books, right? Huge yeah. transformation. So anyway, long story short, I loved it. I loved the digital side. And as publications increasingly went online, you know, I was your girl. Like I was the one who was like, yeah, sure. Let's build a CMS. Let's do this stuff. Um, so along the way, I worked at a whole bunch of different kinds of publications, of everything from like the alt weeklies, you know, the news weeklies to, to business magazines, books, uh, B2B. Um, but increasingly found my focus being on the evolution of digital and the impact on the media. So one day I'm at a conference and, uh, Rafa Ali, who is the founder of Skift, (laughs) <laughs> he comes up to me and he says, hey, I heard about this job. It might be right for you at this organization at the time called Online Publishers Association. And, uh, well, he was right. Um, they were thinking about rebranding uh, and were looking to increase their presence on social and with content, use content, use use the media, and kind of create their own out- media outlet to support the business of digital media. And that's how I ended up at Digital Content Next. Well, so tell me a little bit about the mission now at, at Digital Content Next. So we are a membership organization. Uh, we represent about 60 media companies and they range from, you know, their legacy businesses range everything from, you know, your traditional newspapers, Financial Times, um, and New York Times, uh, Guardian, you know, and so on mm. to to the big, what you would consider like nowadays, the big streamers, right? The legacy television and broadcast companies like NBC, CBS, Disney, and so on. Um, but also some, you know, some of the pure plays like Vox. So uh, we, we are, we exist to represent the needs of these premium media brands. Uh, but essentially to support the health and wellness of the digital media industry. So we work with uh, policymakers. Uh, we work with um, you know any number of media outlets to advocate for and support the business of, of these premium publishers in the digital media space. But 
You've also done a little bit of work recently with a local <laughs> newspaper, is that right? Yeah, so a guy I know from the internet, I know, right? Famous last words. Um, <laughs> so I realized that uh, a, a Twitter friend was uh, actually lived about 10 minutes away and was in the process of standing up a local newspaper. And, uh, you know, just raised my hand and said, what can I do to help? And, uh, spent, spent about six months helping them get going. You know, it was interesting because it, it was not digital. In fact, the, the initial funder, Ralph Nader specifically said he didn't want the publication to have a website. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so it, 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 you know, it was good for me, Peter, to dip my, dip my toes back into the local stuff and really the basics, the fundamental, uh, mission of journalism, right? What do, what are we here for? We're here mm -hmm. to serve these audiences. We're here to inform, uh, entertain and delight these, in this case, readers. And, uh, it's a really good experience to, to be back in it. So what I'm really interested in is the kind of, is the meeting point of your DCN role and that newspaper role. We, we had a, a little conversation, uh, by email before we started and you, you used the phrase universal problems for media. <laughs> well, you know, one of the things that I see from the from the dot org, right, from the org perspective, is that there's all these fragmented organizations out there that are representing very specific uh, corners or or niches of the media business. You know, you've got your broadcast organization or your radio organization or your news organizations, right? And and they're each looking at the specific problems of their membership, of their constituents. Yeah. Uh, but sometimes I think we can fail to see that, <laughs> well, like so many things, we have more in common than we have differences. Yeah. Uh, and I do think that when we, when we focus on the differences, as with every other aspect of life, um, we fail to solve, to kind of to come together to solve some of the big universal issues and problems. And, and one of the things I really love about DCN because of the breadth of our membership is that it gives me this more cross, uh, cross-sectional, is that, is that even a word? Cross-sectional, mm. um, it is now. We're writers. We can do what we want with yeah. the language. Um, it gives, gives you more of this view. Well, as you said, the unified view, right? Where you, you're looking at like, wait a minute, you know, the FT is struggling with the same issue as, as Disney in this. The, the Boston Globe is trying to figure out AI, same as, you know, same as um, CBS or NBC. I mean, there's really more, more shared issues than, you know, than one might realize if they didn't have my very specific day job. So those issues, those shared issues, and this is the impossible question, but if you had to put them in a box, and I don't know, maybe there was three or four of them, what would they be? How would you identify those issues? Well, I would be delighted to put them in a box and then dump them in the ocean <laughs> if I could. Is that an option? Because, all right. You'd probably be making way more money if you were to, to do that. Oh my gosh, I'd be the most popular girl in class oh, for sure. Absolutely. Um 
you know, obviously, I mean, there's the obvious ones, right? I mean, revenue, <laughs> money, right? Everybody is trying to figure out how to monetize this quality content, right? That we're that we're making. We are investing great sums in creating quality information, quality entertainment. Uh, and, and we serve, you know, universally do this to serve our audiences. Right. But so money is always going to be the biggest problem. Yes. I'm capitalist. Okay. I admit it. Um, but I mean, American. I mean, right. Americans. Eesh. Um, <laughs> the next big one for me is, is definitely going to be technological disruption. And yeah, again, that's my, you know, that's my sweet spot, but it has been unrelenting, unrelenting. And I think in the media business, if we're honest with ourselves, it has always been there. It's just the pace of technological innovation has accelerated. And now it's something that, you know, like the paper that I I, I helped stand up, they, you know, they didn't even want to have a website. Well, of course you need a website. Of course you need to to figure out how to meet your customers where they are. But, you know, in the case of that paper, they have decades of experience from media organizations to look back on in ways to use technology in a constructive way to meet the reader's needs without undermining their entire business model in the process. Um, I would say, you know, other universal things uh, kind of tie into both of those. The competition for talent, Peter. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, we, especially given the un- erosion of the business model of the revenue, you know, we're certainly not able to throw money at the problem. So across the board, how are we competing uh, for talent to create content, but also to build this uh, continually changing technological infrastructure that that we need to be to be doing? And then, you know, I, I mean, this is a very much a DCN answer, but you know, regulation, global regulation, is something that every media organization has to be thinking about. Um, there is no such. I mean, we say local, but is anything local really? If a story is big enough, it doesn't matter who broke it. It ripples yeah. around the world. Yeah. So global is is real. Regulation is is a universal issue. If I can come back to a couple of those, the technological one is an, I think, you can argue with me here. I think the technology one is actually the thread that runs through all of this, you know, from money to talent to to regulation it's all about technology right i mean obviously within within regulation there <laughs> there's there are going to be issues that are not technological but i, can, I honestly can't argue with you like the you know the we used to focus on our core strengths right make reporting and and yeah. storytelling whatever the medium you know whether it was broadcast whether it was a video or audio medium written medium but now absolutely nothing is done without the consideration of that technological component so you're absolutely right and and I think, you know, for for media organizations, we can no longer afford to be uh, absent of technology. We have to be we have to be engaged with it. 
And also the money and the talent thing, I think they sit very closely together because you're right, we're on a hunt for talent. But actually media organizations used to be better at developing their own talent. And now I think maybe the money side of things makes that harder uh, or certainly gets deprioritized. Do you think that's true? I think, you know, what I've noticed when I was young, uh, media, being in the media was this kind of, it was so highly esteemed. It was, yeah, it was sexy, right? Right. It was sexy. It was. <laughs> and, and you saw like I did anyway, just the, just absolute, you know, boatloads of trust fund kids, kids from like the best universities, <laughs> you know, just, just fighting for these crap jobs. They, I mean, they paid <laughs> terribly even then right? Well, that hasn't gotten any better. They still pay terribly, but I think the estimation of the craft has been, you know, eroded. It isn't just money. I don't, I don't know that anyone ever did this for money. I mean, money, you know, money doesn't suck. Um, but it used to be a cool thing to be a writer, to be, to be a, a news person, to be a broadcaster, to be a filmmaker. And now I just see this vast dilution and erosion. You know, it comes along with the with the technological piece, right? The yeah. the, the the level playing field that we were all so exciting feel about excited about, right? That means that we are set at in many times in many ways a, an absolute level place with absolute garbage worse fake disinformation misinformation all level in the eyes of of audiences and of course you know that's going to erode the value of this this career and you're just not going to be able to compete and then when you look at technology obviously money is a huge issue you know you can't how can you mm. compete for talent, uh, for the best coding talent, for the best yeah. developers without money? Yeah. So I'm, one of the things I'm interested in is how you have a conversation with one of your members who obviously do amazing stuff. You know, the list of the, the membership list there is, is you know, the, the brightest and the best in world media. But they still get stuff wrong. They still get involved in the not necessarily fake news but they certainly don't necessarily fact check as hard as they should and sometimes they put cut and paste type stuff out just because it generates traffic how do you have a conversation with people whose your job is to you know as you as you put it is to look after their health and wellness how do you have a conversation with them to say look stop doing this Well, that's a tough one, Peter. Um, that's a tough one, especially because it's, you know, it's important for all of us to recognize that what is valuable content is in the eye of the beholder, right? Yep. I can think of one of our member brands, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna call out names, but nope. that people frequently hold up as holy moly, how could you possibly say that this is a premium brand, right? And yet, when you look at research around the most valued brands, they actually rank very, very high because their audience esteems the content that they are producing. So even when we say something like fact check, which by the way, when was the last time you met a fact checker? 
Remember fact checkers? Mm-hmm. When I started at the Village Voice, we I was a fact checker. I was a fact checker for the music publication called the Rock and Roll Quarterly. We had fact checking for music, right? Now you don't have fact checking for like, you know, global elections. Is someone dead? Who knows? Who can tell? Let's just publish it. Um, sorry, that was a bit that was a bit cynical, but but you know, it does feel that You're way. You're on the right podcast with that. <laughs> well, it does feel that way sometimes, right? You're like, whatever happened to facts? Um, you know, the conversations we have are around the value of the brand. And honestly, you can't maintain the value of the brand without maintaining quality. So we do continually reinforce the need to maintain audience trust and and to that you can only attract attention and uh, and brand affinity through quality. So it's it's critical. Uh, we'll never stop saying it. Yeah. So is there any place where you think people like Disney or Condé Nast or the FT I don't know I was going to say have they got an advantage but actually that's not my point it's are the problems different in those big organizations at all or is it really just these universal problems I think one of the things that I found really nice about about DCN is that I've been able to see the big organizations provide and share their insights with the smaller ones. Mm. And, um, you know, we have, uh, we have worked with like the, the Knight foundation in the, in the past to, um, to bring in some smaller media organizations to be able to kind of rub, you know, rub elbows, uh, with, with organizations like Reuters, right. That have this massive technological, uh, Thomson Reuters, you know, the huge technological wing or the Washington post that has, you know, the Bezos technology, uh, infusion, right. To, to, because obviously, you know, the local paper just simply doesn't have that kind of money to throw into the development of their technology. But a lot of the lessons or a lot of the, the, the basics can be shared, right? So I love seeing those best, best practices shared. I mean, the reality is, you know, the many of the fundamentals remain true across mm. organizations of all, of all size, right? Uh, know your audience, know their niche, know your niche, uh, serve your audience, you know, their actual needs, uh, provide value for people's attention. Yeah. Does it ever work the other way? Do the big guys get hints and tips from the small guys? Hmm. Yes. Yes. Here's why. Because you see a Texas Tribune and the Texas Tribune is just so agile and nimble and, and bold that they will take risks that you don't necessarily see at some of the bigs. And and you definitely mm. see it go both ways. Not as often, sure, but you see it. I think that idea of risk taking, you know, not not in the sense of crossing the road when there's traffic coming, but <laughs> in the sense of, okay, we've never tried this before, but we're struggling in this particular area of our business. Let's take a risk. Let's try something we've never tried. 
we talked a little bit earlier about um, the, the idea of this kind of closed corporate mindset that doesn't like taking risks. Is that something that you would like to see change? Well, I think it's really interesting for us when you see some of the outsiders come into our business, right? And sometimes, oh, it's a nightmare. You're like, really? Wow. No, that's not how journalism works, right? Sometimes you're like, wait, what are they doing over there? Uh, Hmm. uh, You know, and it seems crazy. It seems completely mad. And then it works or some aspect of it changes your thinking, changes your mind. And I do think, you know, for me, that first wave of digital disruptors that now, oh no, their valuations were, were way excessive, right? Shocking. Like who didn't notice that? Sincerely, when we look at the valuations of some of these digital upstarts, I'm like, for real, like I was tweeting at the time, like, what is this valuation based on? Right. But, but despite my capitalist roots, Peter, there are still, there is more to learning. There is more to success, right. Than, than the simple valuation. And when we see some of the experiments, some of the risks, it's exciting that there's so people out there doing it, you know, that there's still these startups that want to change things. I mean, some of the new ones, I can't say I'm, I don't feel that they're different enough, you know, but yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm trying so hard not to name names. Uh, (laughs) Semaphore. Semaphore. I'm going to say it. Semaphore. I just look at Semaphore and I'm like, what? How is anyone excited about this? Like, heard of white guys saying the same things the white guys always say. Ooh, bold. Your your pages (laughs) look a little different. I'm sorry. Like, I'm exhausted by it. I, th- I think Semaphore is interesting in the sense, for exactly the reason that you say it, it's come out of established an established sort of setup or, or a couple of established setups and told a really interesting story about how it wants to be different. Um, whether it's actually delivering on that, yeah, I, I, I definitely wonder. Um, Listen, what we've seen over and over with digital startups is the interesting story, the ability to tell a good story is uh, yeah. gets you money. And that's terrific. Um, and then you see some folks cash out. And now we're seeing those, uh, the uh, series of implosions. And, um, you know, I, I just, uh, I, I don't get giddy about that stuff. I, I, I can't help but look at it critically, having watched it over and over and over. Do do something different. And don't tell me a story at all. Do something do different. Yeah. I thought you were actually going to say the messenger. <laughs> now that one's just hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> like I can't even with that. That's But that's, again, you know, there's a market. There is a market. Unfortunately, yeah. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna turn that on its head for you. If someone said to you, "Here's a here's fifty million dollars, do me a startup that's really going to be different," what would that look like? I personally would populate it with as many people from outside the media as inside. <laughs> I love that. I feel like we. We are, and God, this is so absurd coming from me, right? But we are such a a 
little club. We're such, and we just keep perpetuating the same cycles, doing the same things and expecting different outcomes. We honestly are still so caught up in the fact that we have some special abilities that people just don't get us, man. We're just good. And why don't they get it? I need someone to come in and just call bullshit on, on literally everything. I, I think it would be refreshing. I'm not saying it would be comfortable, but. I, I actually, the interview that, or the, sorry, the, the episode before this one uh, on the big noises season is a guy called Shirish Kokani. One of the things that he says media's forgotten is how to make sense for people. So how to make sense for the world for people that we we tell these stories because we think they'll get attention but we don't actually think well how's that helping anyone how's that making anyone's life better or different or giving them insights and i think part of that is like exactly what you're saying is doing what you've always done and expecting a different outcome Mm. you know we i mean i'm not going to tell you anything you don't know here but we are in the attention getting business now Mm. And I'm not saying we weren't before when you had, you know, six tabloids in a, in a media center, right. In a big city. Um, and they all had like their headlines got bigger and bigger and bigger and more and more, you know, scandalous and verb choices were critical to, to alarm and shock. Mm -hmm. Right. But we are absolutely across the entire media industry in the business of pleasing audiences, of serving audiences. And we cannot forget them. We can't forget them. And when I look at at journalism, and and I've definitely talked to my pals over at the local paper about this, I, I love service journalism. I love local news that provides insights on things that I absolutely need to know. How do I vote in the next election? How do I, um, you know, do I approve this uh, funding or not? And why? Um, how do I find the the best farmer's market by me? What, what's around me? And I do think that when we're in the business of getting attention, we definitely forget those critical pieces. Yeah, it's forgetting the who. Uh, another interview, Jacob said, it's forgetting the who. It's so easy to forget the who on the internet. Oh, it's absolutely but, uh, baffling. To I, I seriously, that is the difference right now for me. You know, it's yeah. you know they're not people that you see. They're they're not real anymore. But I imagine that when you're in the broadcast industry, which I never have been, you know, that was always the case, right? Yeah. So so. I still think we have to do the job, don't we? Yeah, definitely. Okay, and in doing that job, can we ever have used the word fundamentals, but can we ever have that kind of one unified theory of everything that will solve all these problems? <laughs> well, you know perfectly well that I'm not <laughs> uh, not able to provide that or I would be... Nope. I would be in Tahiti right now enjoying my vast riches. Um, but I mean, okay. So in terms of unified and, and admittedly, again, I work at a membership organization, right? But I do think that when we work together, we are stronger. Um, I'm looking, for example, at 
at the discussions around AI, right? And the yeah. well, generative AI in particular, uh, in particular, the training on the large language models and using media, you know, willy nilly to train these large language models to then enrich a few future billionaires, right? And I think to myself, you know, wow, this is really different from from the first wave of the internet. I, I think I read somewhere yesterday that we've got post-traumatic stress, right? After <laughs> after seeing our business models decimated by by the likes of like Google and Facebook, right? And and this time around, we're like smarter. We're a little bit smarter and we're less in the business of competing with each other than seeing what we could do together to to improve the future, our future odds of success against mm. another massive technological shift. Okay. So AI is just one example. There are many. Um, but I do think that we, when we work from a point of unification, of collaboration, we're you know, we're in a stronger position. But I also think that there are, you know, I mean, we've talked about this already, but I think that when we think about that value exchange, so even if we're in the business of attention, so now we're in a world where all our, our two thirds of our job is to rise above the noise. Listen to me, look at me, right? Yeah. Are we providing a value exchange when people give us that gift of their attention, do we provide them with value? Never losing sight of giving them that value, whether it's news, information, entertainment, um, aspiration, escape, whatever it is, you know, did it pay off for them? I mean, I think of this in everything I write at the end. Did this pay off for the reader? Was it worth their time? I really believe that we have to focus on the audience and focus on delivering that value. And, and when we do, they will begin to appreciate brand. I mean, you mentioned things like FT, you know, Guardian, um, you know, these, these kind of brands, Disney, you know, they, they have meaning, they have meaning to people. They, that is real, that is substantive, and that does have value. And I think that's, you know, that's the fundamentals, right? Serve yeah. the audience, deliver that value, reinforce the brand, and uh, and in, in build a system that will reward that that value exchange that we provide. So my last question for you then. Are you optimistic? <laughs> I mean, I'm a journalist, so I'm inherently, uh, you know, <laughs> pessimistic, bitter, and cynical. I mean, I feel like I actually get paid to do that. Um, no, <laughs> honestly, honestly, when I I have never seen a more voracious appetite for content. Hmm. It, it is stunning to me the quantities of information that people consume. Um, it feels when we talk about like always on, I mean, people are just constantly connected and consuming information. So despite the fact that, that much of that is, is not consumed directly from the creators, much of it is, um, 
that notion of creator has shifted, you know, from media brand, you know, it's, it's encompasses a great deal more than what I studied in journalism school, you know, at this point, but I Mm -hmm. do think that people, they're consuming it, they value it, they pay for it. They pay for it. I realize, you know, not enough and not everywhere. <laughs> but I do believe that there is hope. Uh, so would I call it optimism? Perhaps not. But I would call it cautiously hopeful. Will do. <laughs> what a wonderful way to end a Friday afternoon. Well, absolute delight to speak with you. you Thank you. I love a good conversation about this business that we love. Well, cheers to Michelle for taking the time to come on this episode of Media Voices Big Noises. And thanks again to Glide Publishing Platform for their support. As mentioned before, if you do want to know what life without having to build and maintain a CMS all by yourself looks like, you can check out gpp.io. And thank you for listening to this episode. We're now into the back half of Big Noises, aren't we? Yeah, we're halfway there. Living on a a prayer. Yeah, we we could just do a karaoke special for the final episode of the oh, series. Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah. <laughs> we could get people to, to write in and choose songs that we have to destroy. And- oh, yeah, like the karaoke thing where we change yeah. the lyrics to be about the media. Oh, love it. Copyright oh, struck immediately. I can see a Christmas special coming <laughs> on. <laughs> All right, well, <laughs> well, we'll get rehearsing. But for now, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Do you know and- what? I'd <laughs> actually give in. I would give in and do a video episode of that one. We need Esther to be dressed as uh, what's his face, Macy DC, in the school in, <laughs> in, the, in, the, in the school boy outfit. Angus Young, tribute. Angus Young, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, until we can convince Esther to <laughs> do that, Christmas. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening, and goodbye. Ta-ta.